welcome to the Heartbeat for Hire podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay Dowd. My goal is to help train leaders and sales organizations how to manage and deliver results with empathy, compassion, and kindness. Let's get started. Attention, visionary leaders. Are you ready to elevate your leadership style and create an exceptional workplace that stands out from the crowd? I'm here to introduce you to a game-changing resource that will transform the way you lead and shape your company culture. It's time to embrace the power of top-down culture. This practical guide empowers your leadership for lasting success, helping you create a workplace where everyone thrives. Get top-down culture today and let's reshape the future of leadership together. Greetings and welcome to this episode of Heartbeat for Hire. Oh, I am so excited to introduce our guest today. Sam Horn is the CEO of the Intrigue Agency, a positioning slash messaging consultancy, which helps people design and deliver TEDx talks, keynotes, funding pitches, and one-of-a-kind brands. She's also the CEO of Tung Fu Training Institute, a trademarked communication skills approach that teaches how to give and get respect at work at home, online, and in public. Sam is the author of 10 books from major publishers, and her newest book, Talking on Eggshells, received a glowing Publishers Weekly Review, the course correct for today's cancel culture. Sam's work has been featured in dozens of publications, including the New York Times, Forbes, Fast Company, and Harvard Business Review. She served as the pitch coach for Springboard Enterprises, which has helped entrepreneurs generate $27.8 billion, yes, that's a B, in funding. And oh my gosh, I had to cut this way down. There's so much more to Sam. Sam, welcome to the show. Why, thank you, Lindsay. I've really been looking forward to sharing some stories and insights with your community. Oh, fantastic. Well, let's just not waste any time. For those that don't know you, could you share a little of your background, a little of your story? Well, you bet. I was very fortunate. I grew up in a small town in Southern California. And uh, even when I was seven years old, my sister was eight, we would be gone on our horses all day long. And what was really pivotal about that is that our parents didn't worry. Instead of warning us, you know, like, be careful or, oh, my goodness, what if they get bucked off? They thought, well, you get bucked off, figure it out. Bridal breaks, figure it out. So my sister and I really grew up to see the world as an adventurous place, not a dangerous place. And instead of worrying, what if something goes wrong? We thought, well, if something goes wrong, we'll figure it out. And that has played a pivotal role in my life ever since. What a glorious way to grow up. And I wish more children had that same opportunity because uh, growing up the way I grew up, there were no seatbelts. I think that had just become a law. We sat facing backwards in the station wagon, <laughs> waving to the cars behind us. It's a different time. Um, but wow, what a wonderful way to grow up. Well, let's just not waste any time. I want to talk about your book, Talking on Eggshells, which has such a great title. Tell us what it's about. You know, I bet all of us have someone we tiptoe around. In fact, I was giving a Tung Fu workshop and a gentleman raised his hand. He said, I work for a lawyer. And he said, he's so volatile. It's like, we just walk on eggshells all day long because we never know what's going to set him off. And I thought, well, you aren't walking on eggshells. You are talking Talking on on eggshells. And this book is how to handle that situation instead of constantly feeling this anxiety because we don't know what to say. 
Oh, well, I think there's never been a better time to really embrace or modernize your communication style. Can you give us just some tidbits in the book that um, some of your favorites? Well, you bet. And now, unless people are driving, I hope they grab a, a piece of paper and put a vertical line down the center because people say, Sam, how does your brain work? Well, I juxtapose everything. Yes. I think it is the quickest way to make complex ideas crystal clear. So if you put a vertical line down the center, put words to lose on the left and words to use on the right. And now I'll give you an example. Here's a real life situation of where something goes wrong and what we're tempted to do and what to do instead so that our response helps instead of hurts. Sound good? Love it. Go. Okay. So I was visiting my son, Andrew, in New York. We're getting caught up in the living room and, and his one-year-old son, Hero, is crawling across the floor hauls himself up on a guitar over in the mm. corner on a guitar stand, starts pounding on the strings. Now, over on the left, can't, Andrew could have said, you know, don't pound on the strings, stop yeah. banging on the guitar. He could have yanked the guitar away, none of which would have helped. Instead, he said one word. Do you know what it was? Mm -mm. Gentle. Mm. Lindsay, I saw Hero's face transform in front of me. Yeah. He reached back to the guitar, he went strong strong <laughs> and he made music in that moment because andrew shaped his behavior instead of shamed it he uh. coached him how to do it right instead of criticizing him for doing it wrong so hero learned from that situation instead of losing face over that situation that's such a great example for leadership, I mean, when you think about how to motivate people, that shape versus shame can be applied in almost every scenario. And when you're talking with your team, if they've done something that you don't agree with, how you approach that and how you deliver that message is really critical. So I just love this. This is so smart and not enough people know how to do it. So what advice do you give? You know, well, right now is that once again, I hope people are taking notes, just put over on the left, put the word stop, mm -hmm. put the word don't. And, and when someone makes a mistake and does something wrong, it's like you're putting too much information on your slides. You better not be late again. Yes. Stop interrupting people. Look, we're reinforcing the negative behavior. Mm -hmm. Instead, you know, turn stop into start, don't into do, mm -hmm. uh, turn should, you should have called if you're going to be late, into from now on. If you have to be late, give us a call. Now, do you see how, once again, we're coaching instead of criticizing, shaping instead of shaming? Well, you know, my dad. <laughs> I, I love this because when you think about micromanagement, you know, this is the fastest way to sap your team's soul. And it's the fastest way to tell them you don't trust them. So when you give them the latitude and the autonomy to conduct themselves, they're going to come and ask for help. They're going to ask for feedback. They're going to blossom and thrive and learn the lesson so much faster versus the, you were terrible at that. Don't do it again, which I have been the recipient of. I <laughs> learned nothing other than being deathly afraid and ultimately getting myself fired. So <laughs> yeah, I get it. So smart. You know, and, and you just brought up something is that as, as a leader in business is that sometimes something goes wrong and people are blaming each other, right? Well, right. you were the one who dropped the ball. Don't look at me. You yeah. didn't. You never gave me that message. And, and so over on the left, put find fault. Because when things go wrong, the blaming begins, right? right? It's like, well, you were the one who were supposed to. And over on the right, let's put find solutions. Now, let's show how to do that in the real world. Uh, do you play sports? 
Lindsay oh. plays sports. I used to. Up? I used to. Now, well, now I do Pilates, but I was a competitive swimmer. So a competitive swimmer. Okay. Now you know then in team sports like basketball and so forth, if if people are getting into it, what does a referee do in order to stop people right in the middle of the fight? Blows the whistle. Blows a whistle, or you know what? They Time can out. use their hands. Yeah. And and all of talking on eggshells is how to be a pattern interrupt. Mm. You know, Elvis said, when things go wrong, don't go with them. Yeah. <laughs> Easier said than done. So if things are going wrong, how do we not go with them? We interrupt them with like, hey, time out. And yeah. then we say, this won't help or let's not do this. We could argue till the cows come home and it's not going to you know, undo this. Instead, let's figure out how we can keep this from happening again. And once again, use the pattern interrupt to stop yeah. And then focus on, you know, how we can prevent this from happening, how we can handle it better instead of who dropped the ball. Right. So you think so fast on your feet. How can others get better at thinking fast on their feet? I think I'm pretty good at this, but help others because I'd really love to hear your tips. There are a few phrases all in the book, all over on the right, that we can say when we're about to say something on the tip of our tongue, we say this instead. You want to know one of the best ones? Mm. Please help me understand. Mm. Because over on the left, put the word conflict. Mm -hmm. Over on the right, put clarifying conversation. Mm. You know, Harvard says that 67% of people self-describe themselves as conflict averse, which means, you know, if there's a conflict, they head the other direction. Well, that that doesn't help, does it? Doesn't make it go away. Instead, if we say, could you please help me understand why I was up for promotion yesterday and you're threatening to fire me today? Because they may say, well, ah, and we actually get at the real issue and then we can move forward instead of heading the other direction when something goes wrong. Mm, that is so, so powerful. And I imagine it works for way more than just in business. It's, uh, I mean, personal relationships too. And I think it's such a great clarifying question because you really understand the reasons behind a decision versus just reacting. That's and, and let's talk about if someone uh, accuses us of something that's not true, because over on the left, put accusing something that's not true or not fair or undeserved. And our first instinct is to deny it. Mm. Well, denying it actually makes it worse. And here's a real life example. And then we'll talk about what to do instead. Mm. So I was speaking at a women's leadership conference and in the Q&A, a woman put her hand up and she said, Sam, why are women so catty to each other? Mm. I knew that if I answered that question and denied it, mm -hmm. I would argue her point. I would actually reinforce that negative stereotype. So I said, ladies, let's agree. We're never going to ask or answer that question again. We're going to Don Draper it because Don Draper said, if you don't like what's being said, change the conversation. Mm -hmm. So how you change the conversation is you do not repeat the negative word. Instead, we say, do you know what I found? Women are real champions of each other. Mm -hmm. You know, I wouldn't have the speaking engagement if someone hadn't stepped up. Or another way to redirect the conversation instead of deny it, these four words, what do you mean? Because if someone says, you don't care about your customers, we do too care about our customers. Look, nice. we're arguing with our customers, whether we care about our customers. Nice. We say, 
what do you mean? They may say, you know, well, I left three messages and no one's called back. Ah, oh, the real issue. Now we can address that okay. instead of reacting to the attack. Oh, so good. So good. And you're right. People are so quick to react and feel accused and feel defensive when if you just ask that question, it might be something really small that you can fix. It, so. How about you talk about personal relationships too? Yeah. You know, what if someone says, you never listen to me? What's, what's our instinct? What I do, do too mean? listen to you. Yeah, there we yeah. go. Instead, say, what do you mean? And they may say, well, you've had your head in the phone for the last hour. You've never even looked up. Ah, real issue. Now we can put our phone down and listen instead of argue about yeah. whether we listen. Yeah. And saying you're right. <laughs> you know, that also reinforces it makes people back down and say, oh, wow. She said, I'm right. This is good. Okay. <laughs> now we can move forward. Um, so you talk about a concept called interpersonal situation awareness. What is that? You know, uh, I knew that this book is a sequel to Tung Fu. Mm. And I, I wanted to, if you we think of this in terms of a movie, uh, this is a sequel. So I wanted to carry forward some of the favorite characters, some of the best techniques from Tung Fu that are classics. I also wanted new ideas, new format, new plot, etc. And ISA is one of them. And it was actually prompted by a quote I saw from Desmond Tutu. He said, we've got to stop pulling people out of the river. We've got to go upstream and find out where they're falling in. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I call thinking upstream, you know, is that if, if we're walking into a contentious meeting, if we just walk in without any preparation, we're going to be blindsided. Chances sure. are, you know, or we're going to have brain freeze. We're going to say something we wish we hadn't, et cetera. Now, thinking upstream is thinking, okay, who's going to be in the room? You know, who are my decision makers here? What are their concerns about this? What is their pushback about this? How can I anticipate and voice their objections so they become moot? For example, if we're thinking, our boss is thinking, well, you got to be crazy coming in here asking for money. We don't have any money in our budget. Guess what the first words out of our mouth are? You may be thinking, not I know you're thinking, that's presumptuous. You may be thinking, we don't have any money in our budget for this. And good news, I found out where we can get this amount of money, where we're going to make it back in the first three months, and then it's going to be a profit center after that. So that's one way of ISA, which is thinking upstream, thinking ahead, anticipating where something could go wrong mm -hmm. and getting ahead of it so it doesn't. Well, that's totally like what the best salespeople do. They plan out the worst case scenarios. So going into a meeting, you've already vetted your objections. You already know how you're going to respond. It's it's doing your homework. It's, it's really planning ahead. And this is done in a way that it's just through communication. So it's less about a sale, but more about how can we get the confidence of the people in the room? And both of both situations require the same thing, but it's, it's really cool. I love the way you say that. So what's the biggest lesson that leaders need today about modernizing their communication style? Wow. Um, okay, story, and then oh. answer, answers the question for yeah. you. Sounds good. So I had an opportunity years ago to do training for Kaiser. And then I went back three years later as a patient. And when I walked in, the receptionist looked around. There was no one in the lobby. She beckoned me over and she pointed to the words to lose, words to use reminder card that was still taped to her desk. 
And she said, Sam, I'm the first point of contact. And so they hired me kind of for my aloha spirit. This was in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And I never used to understand why people were so mean to me when I was so nice to them. She said, and then I took your workshop and I realized I use all those fighting phrases on the left all the time. You you know, you should have brought your insurance card. I'd like to help you, but it's like, well, you'll have to take this to the pharmacist It's well, I can't answer that. You're going to have to. And so I think what we can do as leaders is to actually request this words to lose, words to use reminder card and post it by your laptop. Put it in your employee cafeteria, you know, put it on your refrigerator at home because it keeps these words to use insight in mind so that we can catch and correct and we can actually use communication that creates cooperation rather than conflict. Well, and when you think about words to use and words to lose, that is a culture building tool too. I mean, imagine if everybody empowered themselves to not pass the buck, because I can tell you in the corporate world, the words, that's not my job. Oh my God. The amount of times I heard that if I had a quarter, I would be loaded. But when you come at it from a different perspective of well, let me just try and help. How can I make this easier for the person I'm talking to? You change everything and that's contagious. People see you doing it and they want to behave in kind. So smart. It's, you know, Mother Teresa said, the world is full of good people. Mm-hmm. If you can't find one, be one. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's what these words are about is that when someone says, uh, you know, can I get my paycheck early? No, you can't because it's not approved by payroll. If instead of the words can't because we say, yes, you can as mm-hmm. soon as it's approved by payroll. Mm-hmm. You know, can I go out and play with my friends? No, you can't because you haven't done your homework. Mm-hmm. Do you see how those words can't because put aside against side? Mm-hmm. People see us as blocking them from what yes. it is they want. And a lot of times we can say, yes, you can as soon as, or sure you can right after now we're on the same side instead of side against side yeah it's it's more of a positive trade versus a no because you haven't done this which is all negative so yeah i i love that that's so smart and these are things that humans innately know you're just putting it in a frame that really helps people understand i just i think it's so so smart so you've had a really interesting career with pitching and teaching people to pitch and obviously building speakers and tedx's for those of us that are speakers or really want to get on a bigger platform what's your advice for the things they should pay attention to have a great first 60 seconds <laughs> because Richard Branson said time is the new money yeah. and the clock starts ticking the second we start talking. Yeah. So would you like an example of yes. a great 60 seconds that gets people's eyebrows up so they want to know more about 100%. what it is you care about? Yes. Good. So now you'd mentioned Springboard, which has helped entrepreneurs generate yeah. more than $27 billion in funding valuation. So one of my Springboard clients, Kathleen Callender, PharmaJet, said, Sam, I got good news. I got bad news. I said, what's the good news? She was presenting in front of a room full of, pre- of investors at the Paley Center in New York. Fantastic. I said, what's the bad news? She said, I only have 10 minutes and I'm going at 2.30 in the afternoon. 
Well, here's what we came up with because she thought we can't say anything in 10 minutes. How can I talk about, you know, our team credentials, our patent pending, our financial structure or what? And I said, you don't have 10 minutes. It's 2.30 in the afternoon. You have 60 seconds. So here's the opening we came up with and then we'll unpack it. So anyone watching or listening can ask themselves, where do I want to get a yes? Where do I want people's attention, support and respect? And they can do this for their priority. Sound good? Yes. Here we go. Here is Kathleen Callender's 60-second opening for PharmaJet. Did you know there are 1.8 billion vaccinations given every year? Did you know up to a third of them are given with reused needles? Mm. Did you know we're spreading and perpetuating the very diseases we've tried to prevent? Imagine if there were a painless one-use needle for a fraction of the current cost. Don't have to imagine it. We're doing it and she's off and running. Are your eyebrows up, Lindsay? <laughs> oh, yes. Sign me up. <laughs> now, let's contrast this to the elevator speech she used to give, which is an explanation, which is infobesity, which is what most of us do. They say, so what it's about, we explain it. Never again explain it. That's infobesity. Instead, over on the right, ask three, did you know questions that go to the problem you're solving? the issue you're addressing or the need you're meeting. Mm -hmm. So just Google startling statistics about the problem you're solving, the industry that you're in, the subject that you're addressing, because up will come things even you didn't know. Oh, I didn't know it was that bad. I didn't know that many people were being affected. I didn't know that the cost had tripled. And if you ask three of those it's the quickest way to get a skeptic's attention because now they're smarter than they were 30 seconds ago. Wow. I mean, that is gold. And I totally understand how you were able to raise so much money. That is <laughs> incredible. Wow. Um, so Sam, what inspires you? Huh? Interesting question. Um, okay. I, I believe in Mary Oliver in my life. Uh, Mary Oliver said instructions for a life, pay attention, be astonished, tell about it. <laughs> and I would add and be grateful for it. And what inspires me is I live on the stream trail in Austin and I get out for a walk every day and I am inspired every single time I'm in nature and I'm inspired by my friends and family. I am very fortunate to be close with my sons and their families. My sister been running my business for 25 years. Wow. I have a community of friends who just light me up being around them. And I have a Catherine Graham career. Uh, Catherine Graham of the Washington Post was asked what it was like uh, being the first woman owner of a, of a newspaper. She thought about it and she said, to do what you love and feel that it matters, how could anything be more fun? That's what I get to do. Oh, amen. Every time I say to my friends, it'd be so much easier if I just got a paycheck and worked for somebody else. And they go, don't <laughs> you dare. So everybody says, stay right where you are. Keep doing what you're doing. Because I think I'm in the right spot. My gosh, it's hard sometimes, but I do love it. Um, so do you have any tips for aspiring authors since you've written so many books? Well, you bet. It's a first follow the advice of Dan Pointer. Dan was kind of the guru of self-publishing and was a longtime friend. He said, if you wait to write, you're not a writer, you're a waiter. Oh, that's so, funny. <laughs> so <laughs> the very first thing is, uh, do we have time for another story? Yeah, of course. 
Okay. So you may know who Sherry Salata is. Mm -hmm. uh, Sherry was the executive producer of Oprah and then ran Harpo and Own. Now, I was at a conference um, and a friend, Ariel Ford, was interviewing Sherry. And Sherry almost said as an aside, well, if I ever write a book, I know what I'm going to call it. And Ariel said, what? And she said, I did everything all wrong and it turned out all right. Oh well, Lindsay, I've written a book on titles. That is a mic drop. That's amazing. I love that title. So I went up to Sherry afterwards and I said, tell me you're writing that book. And she said, Sam, I don't know where to start. She said, you know, do I start with Oprah's birthday party and Jerry Seinfeld and Chris Rock and Beyonce, Michael Jordan? Do I start with delivering a baby in a 7-Eleven parking lot? And I said, Sherry, you're an executive producer. We're going to executive, executive produce your book in this break. Mm -hmm. So get a fresh piece of paper. Put in the upper left-hand corner, 200. Let's presuppose your book is 200 pages, not 350 doorstopper, not 120 who move my cheese. Let's presuppose each chapter is no more than 10 pages. So you set up the psychology of completion. Yeah, you can do that. And then yeah. you've got 20 chapters, right? So just have four rows of five boxes. Now we're going to spitball it. Okay, we're going to just talk about stories you want to tell, epiphanies you've had, turning points, etc. So in one of the boxes, one idea, one story per box. Let's put down Oprah's birthday party. Let's put down delivering a baby in the 7-Eleven parking lot. Let's put down when you decided to leave. Oprah. Uh, put down that. Now, look, in five minutes, uh -huh. you can. <laughs> and then, of course, this doesn't have to be linear. You're not trying to put it in order yet, which is what gives you writer's block is That's when right. you turn the creative process into a linear process. Once you have it down, then you step back and go, oh, well, this ought to be the first chapter. These are kind of alike. Let's put that in one chapter. You're on your way. Ah. What a smart way to approach anybody that's got great stories to tell. I love that. Um, you know, my book just came out and the process was similar in that we started with the table of contents. So figuring out what are the things we want to talk about, we reordered it a few times, but it was easy to fill in those blanks because we already had the structure in place and it was, it was pretty, uh, pretty rewarding. Yes. So here's a big one for you, Sam. What would you like your legacy to be? Huh. Let's see. Um, twofold is that uh, I was very fortunate in college. Our, I took philosophy. And the first day of class, the professor said, OK, we're going to study Plato and Socrates and Aristotle. But the first assignment is to come up with your own philosophy. Mm. Thank you, <laughs> Professor K, for that. And so I spent that next week trying to come up with a philosophy that would be less than 100 words. And I came up with one decades ago, haven't changed it since. And my purpose is to make a positive difference for as many people as possible while maintaining a happy, healthy life with family and friends. So I hope my legacy is that I did make a positive difference for people with my books and my speaking and my consulting and my example, and that I also set an example of understanding that wealth in what matters is being truly close with friends and family. Wow, I totally agree with that. I love your legacy, and I, I hope that mine is similar to yours, that I think you can be so rich with the people in your life, regardless of what, what's in your wallet. 
So it's, it's really, really incredible. So any parting words of advice for either leaders or speakers or anything else you'd share? I mean, I'm staring at the stack of books behind you. You've got a lot, lot in that head of yours. You know, uh, a quote that's really been resonating with me and that I I share with a lot of my clients is from E.E. E. Cummings. And he said, to be yourself in a world that is trying all day, every day to turn you into someone else is the hardest battle you'll ever fight and keep fighting. And so I guess the message is in a world that's very noisy, that's telling us that more is better and that fame and fortune and clicks and followers is where it's at. I hope we come to an E.E. E. Cummings Center and that is that we show up every day with integrity and we show up every day crystal clear about who and what matters. And we spend time with that and that we show up every day and we say no thank you to the noise that is trying to convince us that more is the holy grail. And we know that now is the holy grail. Ah, oh, oh, I love that so much. And there's so much wisdom in those words. I could kind of go off in five different directions on what I think is so wise about that. But um, gosh, that was lovely. And I'm so grateful that you were a guest on our show today. How do people find you? Well, it's real easy. It's my website is samhorn.com. So S-A-M-H-O-R-N. My three TEDx talks are on there. All my books are on there, blogs. You know, I love quotes. There's quotes on there. And I also help that people uh, follow me on LinkedIn because I am a writer and and almost every other day I'm writing something on LinkedIn about something that occurred to me on the stream trail or a conversation I had with a client that might uh, offer an insight for them or an inspiring story of how they can be the quality person they want to be when other people aren't or how to get their ideas out of their head and into a book or TEDx talk. So hopefully we'll connect on LinkedIn too. Oh, Sam, I, I for sure. I think we might be connected, but I'm going to make sure I'm not missing any of your posts. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, sharing all those stories. They're so fabulous. And um, gosh, I just have so much marinating in this head after this chat. So thank you. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Heartbeat for Hire. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Heartbeat for Hire. If you like what you hear, I'd love it if you'd subscribe and leave a five-star review. To keep the conversation going, you can find me on Insta or at LinkedIn at Lindsay Dowd, H4H, or you can reach me at my website, heartbeatforhire.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day.